Hello and welcome to the JLA Cast, a podcast in which we explore life in the time of Grant Morrison across the DC universe and beyond. My name's John and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm PJ and I'm the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Trolltooth Wars. Life in the time of Grant Morrison. Nice. I I I I I made a I made a promise or you made me make a promise that we'd have this thi- fixed and what do you think is that okay? <laughs> Oh, I love it. I just wasn't expecting it. Caught me off guard. You'd um you'd gotten used to me being a comical failure over the last few few, <laughs> few episodes. So pulled the rug out from under you, PJ. And then it just made me think of a book cover, which is like one of those romance novels of, of Grant Morrison <laughs> on a pirate ship with their shirt off looking all rugged and tough. I and was... then the DC heroes behind them. I was gonna go with like life in the time of Morrison. And I was like, ah, that could be that could be anything. But uh, <laughs> no, life this isn't this isn't this is this is Grant Morrison's world. We merely living it. So that's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, so surely the the pressure's on you now, PJ, to up your outro game. Oh, I just wing it every week. What? My God! What is earth shattering? Earth shattering yeah. news here. I already. That's- I don't know what I'm going to say at the end of this episode. Uh, and, uh, you know, which, in case anyone's listening, we should let you know that is in complete contrast to the rigorously scripted and researched, you know, main body of, of every episode, which, of course, you know, PJ and I spend hours slaving over every week before even getting oh, to Oh, yeah, the like the night before I read a comic and then I show up. <laughs> uh, sometimes, sometimes it's not even the night before. Sometimes it's moments before. Uh, yeah, that is that is true. <laughs> it has happened. Um, although... Um, you know, certainly as we get further and further away from the the main Morrison canon, uh, which, of course, I, I think I've read countless times in my life, um, mm. the need to do the research beforehand is is, is, is a bit more relevant because um, this is uncharted territory, even even with a bit of um, Final Night groundwork uh, already laid over the past month or so. No, yeah, I mean, for me, Final Night hasn't so far been that much of a departure because I used to read it every time I'd do a JLA reread. I did mm. just as like the first thing I'd pick up, um, or second. We'll get into that at the end of this episode. <laughs> but as of the next episode, and then the ones following that, we are in completely new territory for me with comics I've never read. So that'll be fun. You know, it cuts both ways. You know, PJ surprises me, and then hopefully I get to surprise him in return. Uh, PJ, speaking of um, surprises, I have a fun mm. real world anecdote for you. Oh, here we go. So uh, to celebrate Lucy's uh, birthday, we spent a day wandering around Bristol yesterday. Uh, kind of, We went to a board game cafe, kind of just kind of bummed around, ate cake, oh, walked nice. walk the streets. It was really nice. And um, 
for those who aren't familiar with Bristol, uh, it is a. I was going to. I was going to say coastal. I guess it is technically coastal. Um, it, it's um, it's a lot of water. You know, it's a big. Yeah. It's a big old trading city. Uh, lots of like uh, docklands and you know canal areas and stuff. And so we were walking along the waterfront. Uh, you know, uh, kind of late late in the evening, uh, we passed by. Honestly, goodness, uh, like a private yacht moored up for hmm. the evening with a with a, a personal helicopter on top oh of my it. God, I know that's a brand- ostentatious. I know a branded helicopter. Um, I was a bit slow for Mark because I was impressed because I saw a man on one of the gangways wearing hmm. uh, wearing like a, a suit and uh, like a trilby hat, and I was like, oh, what a classy fellow. And then and then I realised there was a helicopter on top of the boat, so I was like, that, okay, well that that explains it. And uh, and then 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 more important than anything, PJ, we passed a houseboat called Ferro. Yeah, no. Yep. Yep. Honest to goodness, uh, called Ferro. You wow. wow! Tell me that next to the name they had a small picture of Ferro's head. And they actually had a final night omnibus kind of nailed to the prow as like a, a kind of good luck charm. <laughs> wow oh pharaoh it I, he ba- gets everywhere to me. i know i like maybe it, it 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 has a name just beyond kind of you know i am iron boy sort of thing like maybe maybe it's a name in another language maybe it maybe it's a a, a term of, of endearment i do not know but honestly goodness it was called pharaoh that i mean do you know what where's i've got i have got in front of me we we record this uh, where when I'm recording I am sat at my desk where I also tend to do my writing. Sure, sure. It means my dictionary is on the shelf just in front of me, so I'm going to look up the word pharaoh in my little dictionary. You have this a di- is, uh, you the, have a dictionary to hand while you're writing. The pocket Oxford dictionary that was a gift to me from my aunt and uncle for my christening. So it's a little out of date. But... <laughs> Well, surely Pharaoh uh, hadn't been invented at that point in your life, PJ. No. Okay. Uh, God, I just feel like a fraud now. I don't have a dictionary anywhere near me. Well, you're not a proper writer like what no, I am. No, I'm absolute hack over here. Ferus <laughs> uh, is a suffix forming... Oh, you yeah, know, that's not right. I've, that's ferus. No, Pharaoh's <laughs> not in my dictionary. My dictionary... Oh, no, wait, wait there it is. Ferro, containing iron of iron. Okay. Um, That's it. That is okay. the only... So maybe that boat just contained some iron. Uh, it was sitting quite low in the water. Like, I'm I'm not a nautical man, but maybe... Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe it was a bit heavy. I don't know. Um, it's probably just full of back issues. Um, it's, it's that, or the owner was like, which DC character is no one ever going to name their boat after that I can take? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it could be like... Um, yeah, like you've got to get there first, haven't you? Like, um, oh, who's I, I bet there are a hundred of boats called Batman. Oh, and so many Boana beasts, you wouldn't believe. <laughs> <laughs> Off the top of your head, it's going to be. Who do you think is the most obscure DC character? Like, who does PJ think is an obscure DC character? Oh, uh, Ambush Bug. <sighs> is he? Oh, he is obscure, I suppose, but like, he's. He's got the whole meta thing going on. Like he's, he, people might know him a bit, you know, kind of in the weird kind of self-referential context. 
I think the the problem is characters that used to be obscure have have now sort of had prominent roles in the films and TV shows. Like, you know, a couple of years ago, I'd probably have said Vibe, and then obviously Vibe has been a major part of the Flash TV show for years. Oh wow, yeah. Um, so you know, and Ambush Bug though, outside of comic readers, I don't think there's really any name recognition at all there, and even some comic readers. If um, uh, in the UK we have um, so so for our international listeners, you're probably familiar with like um, Family Fortunes or Family Feud. It has different names in different countries. Where you know you're obviously um, they ask a bunch of people the same question. Can you and you're trying to you know find the most popular one. In the UK, we have uh, a game show called Pointless, which is mm. the exact opposite. You have to find the technical answer that nobody else has. The technically correct answer that no one else has thought of. Yeah. So if it was going to be something like, can you name a DC character? We asked a thousand people. I'd probably go... Well, part of me would want to go something like, I don't know, like Mary... Was it like, oh, what was her name? Like like Girl of a Thousand Gimmicks or something like that? Or... I like alias spider, but then, or but then, but then, probably like the 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 smart move would be to say something like Starman Five, <laughs> or something like that. Because I think there's been like nineteen Starmen. Yeah, no one would think of the middle one. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it's. I think I oh, it's hard to know what what to go for with that because also you've got that possibility that in those people they've asked there is some really nerdy comic guy who has gone really obscure. So you've got to try and think, avoid both the really obvious ones, but also the really obscure ones that people try and trip you up with and maybe go sort of mid-range. Something like a, I don't know, like a Dial H for Hero. Yeah, and I guess you you could start getting to technicalities and going like, uh, well, which series? Do you mean like the original 1970s one, the China Melville one? Uh, I think there's been another one since. Uh, there may even have been a was Bendis involved in when Bendis got doing yeah, DC Bendis stuff. Yeah, Bendis did Dial H when he when he came uh, came to DC. I've got it actually. I've got it. My two choices that I would okay. go for. Okay. Amethyst Princess of Gem World okay. or Gem Son of Saturn. <laughs> You're, anything gem related, basically. Yeah, if it's gems, I'm I'm there. I'm I will I will nail my flag to that mast or whatever they do. Isn't there like? Um... Uh, the Patchwork Man. Uh, there is, yeah, yeah. Might be. Is that like a Steve Ditko esque character? I think that might be. Yeah, another weirdo in a in a in an interesting suit going out and punching people, which um, <laughs> do do kind of have like a weird soft spot for him. Yeah, Steve Ditko is a lunatic. Oh, I love um, a bit of Ditko weirdness. Oh, I know it's it's incredible. Um, oh no, oh this is terrible. I had like a whole. Th- oh, that was it. Yeah. Um, there's a very surreal moment in um, Batman: The Return of Bruce Wayne, uh, mm. a, Mor- a Morrison story, where we see Morrison return to writing the JLA because they make a, a cameo in that story, and um, they it, it's so bizarre because it's like it's Morrison writing the JLA, Bruce Wayne's in it, so it's clearly like our Batman but then the cast of the JLA at the time is absolutely buck wild it's like <laughs> um, Jesse Quick uh, Cyborg Kongorilla 
like Starman three. Oh my! I God. think like the one who had like who was an alien had like blue skin and pink hair and like a crystal oh. in their chest. Oh yeah, God! That's, isn't that one of the Starmen? I think. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Oh God, who else is there? Like, it was really, really bizarre, and it's so. I, you know, with the Avengers, particularly like um, during the Busick run, it did that kind of wonderful thing where it's like it's like a baseball team constantly changing its roster. You've got a few favorites, a couple of wild cards. I, I always felt like it was a badge of honor for an Avengers writer to just create an entirely new character during yeah. your run. Um, so you, you you were used to having like a completely wild lineup, but it still throws me when I see the JLA and it's just like this random collection of like um, f listers. So bizarre. Well, I think because with the Avengers, there's almost always at least one A-lister on there. There's always either a Captain America or an Iron Man or a Thor or a Black Widow, someone that people know and really like. There's always at least one, maybe two, at the very least. But yeah, the JLA has had some utterly wacky lineups where nobody recognises any of them. You know, that that said, I, I, I realise I'm being hypocritical here because I do have a bit of a soft spot for the laxer days of the um, Joe Kelly and Doug Mank run on JLA. Yeah, uh, but Superman of, was still on the team. That That is true. You had like Superman, Wonder Woman, John Stewart, Green Lantern, Wally. Um, Jean was around for a bit. But then you also had like really weird ones like Manitou, Raven, uh, Major Disaster. Yeah, uh, faith. I I actually yep. ended up getting like a really soft, a real soft spot for Major Disaster because I DC. Um, I I always feel does like um, Avatar heroes really well, like a hero yep. who embodies something, and you know they've they've hit all the highs, so it's quite hard to come up with a new one. So I I felt like having a character who embodied like natural disasters was quite an interesting take on that. I, I had a real soft spot for Manitou Raven myself. Yeah. He, was some, he was something quite different, both in terms of the look and the power set of the character. I, I haven't revisited the Joe Kelly run for a while, so I don't know if Manitou Raven's sort of Native American heritage has aged very well, if maybe it's a little bit, oh, when you actually reread it. But at the time, I, I remember really liking the character. Yeah, I don't want to put my I don't want to put my head out on a par- above a parapet here, but I I have to say it wasn't terrible. I seem to recall, um, and there was some fun, like uh, you know when you have a magic user on a on a team, there's always um, the question of what are the limits of their powers? Like mm. what can they what can they and can't they do? But uh, I always thought the presentation of Manitou's magic was really it, it came across as quite kind of just creative like um you know there's um there's there's one issue where like they can they can get he to give them protection from magic he gives some of the characters like these kind of stones with runes carved into them but mm. you have to you have to hold them in your mouth for the spell to work or there's one where he summons like um a spirit uh guardian which is like a giant ferret sort of thing so they can ride on the ferret, but they're, they're, everyone's like, this, this just seems really bizarre. And he's like, this is a sacred deity. Like, please don't call the, the this creature cute. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, he's doing us a favor here. So, yeah, it was kind of fun. Was, uh, was the Obsidian Age the Kelly run? That's how it began, I want to say. Because yeah. I, I, that's the one where they're searching for Aquaman and you get the 
the big the big seven go into the past to find Aquaman. So Batman recruits a new. Yes, that's when you get Major Disaster and Faith and those characters coming in, isn't it? Yeah, it's it, it, they did a really weird. I I picked up the Obsidian Age quite late because. Um, as with a lot of my JLA collecting, I tend to end up starting at the end and then working back. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the Obsidian Age is an odd one, because right? it, it started doing the like one issue set in the past, one issue yes. set in the present, and bouncing back and forth. Um, but I I really liked that, and I quite I liked the team Batman put together for the present when he was going, to, and I loved the scene because he recruits Green Arrow, Ollie, because Ollie's just come back at this point. Yeah. And there's this whole page of Ollie doing a monologue about, yep, you need me to lead the team. You need me to, I've been waiting for you to get me back, you know, since I came back. It's about time I was on the league again. And you need me here. You need me to lead this new team. <laughs> At the end of the page, Batman's like, no, you're not leading it. Nightwing's leading it. And I actually love the idea of a JLA team led by Nightwing. It's it's something that, uh, you know, to, to bring it back to like the return of, return of Bruce Wayne, it's like uh, Morrison has so much fun writing uh dick dick grayson as as batman you know mm. and he made a really compelling case for nightwing or batman or whatever he's calling himself being being a brilliant a brilliant kind of hero and tactician and leader well i always i feel like nightwing is often underrated and almost there have been times where he's been positioned as actually he's better than bruce in a mm. lot of ways because you get, I think it's in the um, the Bruce Wayne murderer and then Bruce Wayne fugitive storyline where Bruce is framed for murder and goes to prison. But at the end of the first trade, he's he's beaten up some prisoners as Bruce Wayne and broken out of prison and Bruce Wayne is on the run. And he's going to come back as Batman to investigate what's going on <clears throat> so he sort of set it up that bruce wayne has fled gotham but batman's still going to be in gotham doing the investigation and nightwing basically goes to him you can't do this you need to stay in prison and let us handle it and they have a fight they actually they it leads to a fist fight between batman and nightwing where it very much nightwing has the upper hand and i do feel there are certain stories where you think do you know what bruce has trained dick a little too well and i reckon yeah dick sometimes has the edge there's um there are some lovely moments in Morrison's run on 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 Batman, uh, particularly Batman and Robin, where we saw it was Dick Grayson as Batman and Damian Wayne as Robin, and this kind of inversion uh, of having a super serious Robin and mm. a Batman who wasn't light-hearted, but you know was a bit a bit a bit um a bit brighter of spirit, and there's some there's some really nice observations in there where like um you know there's a bit where i i won't go too inside baseball on the plot but like they they're trying to bring what they think is bruce back from the dead they have what they think is his body and um they bring back something else it isn't it isn't bruce and uh but it's like a a a mad rotting batman and um you know uh dick says you know it's not him i can tell he says it's like uh his fighting style he says it's like a great song being performed by a bag singer. Hmm. And there's also a nice moment where they face down the Joker. And obviously Batman and the Joker's relationship is has been explored over decades. But, you know, you have Dick Grayson and the Joker, who, the original Robin. And you just see how the Joker is completely almost like ineffective against Dick. Because... 
Yeah, I think he says as much. He said, look, look, Joker, I worked you out when I was 10. You know, it's like, you don't scare me and you can't torment me in the same way you do you do Bruce because it's like I'm you just don't have the same leverage over me it, it was a nice kind of I, subversion I guess of, of what the Joker was capable of it's that weird thing that I think is is very unique to DC in comics where my favorite Robin is is Tim Drake mm. and Dick Grayson as Robin isn't that interesting to me Dick Grayson is one of my favourite DC characters, post-Robin. Hmm. Once Dick graduates to becoming Nightwing, I think that is fascinating and everything you can do with that character then. And it's one of the few things that's stuck that no one's tried to undo ever because it just works so well having this grown-up superhero who used to be the kid's sidekick and then went off on their own um, and and is the best example of that. And, and yeah, Dick as Nightwing and as Batman is just one of my very favourite things DC have done. It's funny, isn't it? Because we're getting into the legacy question again, which, again, is something which DC kind of has that Marvel, you know, doesn't or hasn't really embraced. And I think we we both kind of feel, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that, like, some of the more interesting stuff is how DC deals with legacy. And then it becomes increasingly frustrating when they, they will retcon those yeah. any progress they have made to try and go back to this golden age yeah no it is it really is and you know kyle and wally they're the classic examples which is why sometimes it does surprise me they haven't just de-aged dick and made him robin again <laughs> <laughs> well I, it's funny isn't it because i guess like the best thing jason todd ever did was die yeah um you know the idea of a fall. I, I don't find Red Hood especially interesting as a character. No, I'd say the the best thing Jason Todd did was die, and the worst thing he did was come back from the dead. <laughs> in my opinion, I re- I don't I don't think they ever should have brought him back. I really no, don't. It doesn't I, work for me. I I, I think the problem, with, like, particularly with Red Hood, is that you get into that slightly kind of like badass edge lordy kind of thing, where it's like I like the idea of a ro- a bad Robin who comes back as a cautionary tale. I don't then like this kind of constant need to like redeem him and make him like the edgy Batman who kills. It's like I don't I don't care. I want to see like a tragic, flawed, yeah, almost pathetic Jason Todd. I don't want to see him being badass. Yeah, and same. I, I, and then the cycle kind of completed with with Tim Drake, who I who I really liked as well. Um, but then you get into this weird thing, which kind of applies to like Kyle and the Green Lanterns as well. It's like every time you create a new successor to that mantle because you want to do the new character again, it runs the risk of making all the previous characters slightly irrelevant because it's like Damian Wayne uh, was a fun... I, I quite like Damian Wayne as Robin. Yeah. Uh, and a, a lot of people now really, really identify Robin with that character. But yeah. even in the Morrison run, Tim Drake just got sidelined. He just became irrelevant. There was very little need for him anymore. Yeah, people have tried to bring him back. I think he's, he's he is Robin again now, at the same time as Damien is Robin. I've seen recent comics where he's back in his classic Robin costume, because I know they tried different things with him. They made they gave him the red Robin costume from Kingdom Come for yeah. a while. <laughs> um, Bendis made him Drake. Great, yeah, just use your surname as your superhero name. That's that's smart. Really? <laughs> I hate, in Young Justice, I hated that. When Bendis brought back Young Justice at the beginning of it, Tim Drake was in his Robin costume and was Robin. And then, like, issue five, he takes on the identity of Drake. 
And it's like, come I mean, on. I, 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 I can't be throwing too many stones because in a lot of like my early teenage attempts at writing superhero comics, I did often have a character called Drake. But isn't a Drake just a duck? Yeah. So like from a from a uh, soaring the, the bird like acrobatic hero, um, Drake, uh, Drake is not necessarily that commanding. But yeah, Tim Drake will always, I think, be my favourite Robin. I think his some of the '90s stuff, Nightfall, was great for him as a character. Um, I've got a a trade that includes like his first appearances as Robin when he takes up the mantle of Robin in the either very late 80s or very early 90s, and then mm. the first Robin miniseries. I really enjoyed that. Um, and, you know, he he was the first one who got a new version of the Robin costume. There's sort of then since that's the one they then used for Dick in the animated series. And, and yeah, he, he, for me, sort of almost changed what Robin could be. And and then he's he's just the best. It's funny that, like, for a company that, really likes hitting the reboot button it's weird then that like rather than having say one quintessential sidekick who is repeatedly rebooted and retconned to reflect the the fashions of the time (laughs) like because an example would be like kyle like you know uh, we really like kyle uh, but he was a product of the 90s you know Mm. they they updated him to be contemporary at the time he came out and then rather than say, oh, we hit the reboot button, I, oh, let's go back to Robin, and now Dick Grayson is, like, 15 again, and now he's he's young and edgy and snarky, they just keep adding new Robins. Yeah. Uh, and they, just as they keep adding new Green Lanterns, and then they keep hitting the reboot button. So I've said it before, I'll say it again, it is baffling to me that in the new 52 entire concept is that the heroes have only been heroes for, like, five years or something. And in that time... Bruce Wayne has accumulated four robins. Like yeah. that that's insane. <laughs> it really is. It is. It's nuts. It's nuts. That, but that's it. DC want to have their cake and eat it. They want to do a reboot, but they also want to keep all of their characters. And it's like, well, you you can't. It's you can't one or the everyone. other. Yeah. Either, you know, because you know, it's like there's there's issues of the Avengers, even going back to like the 60s, where I, I remember there's a story where they they time travel back to World War Two, mm. and you know you've got Black Panther and Hawkeye and I think Quicksilver back during like Second World War and then going like oh my God we've time traveled back to the Second World War even though we were only children at the time yeah you know and so like the sliding timeline is is something that all heroes have to contend with well uh, in the original backstory for the Fantastic Four Ben and Reed were war veterans they fought in World War Two. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah. And then I think I, that later got updated, so it was Vietnam, and now I think it's the Gulf War. Same with Iron Man. But... Well, 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 that's that's kind of the other way of doing it, isn't it? It's like, the, the sad truth is, there's probably always going to be a war that's well, current. To, uh, and, yeah, you can keep kind of moving that character's history. Um, it, it's, it's, it's weird that, I don't know, we haven't conceivably had, like, a young, hip, edgy kyle rayner reboot like two or three times but no he's now just kind of perpetually locked in his late 20s or early 30s and kind of becoming less and less relevant as more green lanterns arrive that's it every reboot they just keep all their green lanterns and then you're like well i don't know maybe all of the dc universes are green lantern now 
And also, you know, and if you're going to keep Kyle around indefinitely, at least have the dignity to let him keep his 90s hairstyle, you know, yes. and, and costume. Don't don't give him some utterly boring or generic reboot costume yep. just to keep him around as a, a background character. It's like having a kidney donor on hand. Like, we always just need an extra Green Lantern in case something happens. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Anyway, this has been another episode of John and PJ don't like the modern day. <laughs> John and PJ are becoming increasingly bitter. No, grumpy no, old men. PJ, it's not that. It's just clearly our way of doing things is correct, and why can't everyone agree? Yeah, and right, right. I know it's not too much to ask. <laughs> oh dear. I think. Um, I think one of. Um, uh, our listeners wrote in once, and, and I do I do apologise because right this moment I can't remember your name, and that's a, a terrible uh, injustice of me. But um, wrote in with some excellent thoughts on legacy characters, which we, we've covered on air before. But I, I think they made a nice observation that they would love to see a, uh, a, a reality where DC continue doing what they do. You know, you have a kind of uh, a shifting timeline, you have new characters being introduced, but then you let old characters die. And then at the same time, or retire or something, but then at the same time, continue releasing standalone books, standalone miniseries, graphic novels that could just function in different time frames. You know, you know, if you want, if you still want to see Bruce Wayne being Batman, here's a book where he's doing that. In many ways, he will always be Batman. But also, here's another continuity where he's kind of stepped back and he's retired a little bit. I think it might be possible to have both. Yeah, but they'll never do it. They'll never do it, no. There'll always be a reboot <laughs> around the corner. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, PJ, uh, speaking of legacy, speaking of reboot, and speaking of the heat death of the universe, wh- where on earth are we? We are about to embark on issue four of The Final Night. We have done our one little diversion in the middle of the series to the Parallax Emerald Knight one-shot, where Kyle tries to convince Hal Jordan to come and help them stop the Sun Eater from destroying the Sun and therefore the Earth. Uh, and Hal has agreed to help, is is uh, where we left things at the end of that issue. And uh, yeah, now we're about to jump into Final Night Issue 4. What's going to happen? Uh, well, yeah, and I think when last we left the actual main events of um, Final Night... Um, hadn't they worked out that the sun's kind of collapsing mass but lack of collapsing volume was going to cause it to go hypernova yes and also they i don't want to say they'd given up but it, it was generally starting to look a bit hopeless down on earth as it things was. got colder and colder it really was uh so yeah so i guess uh as we open um uh, things are getting pretty cold, and we we kind of see um, uh, Egypt uh, covered in snow as a uh, green bolt of energy kind of shoots across the night sky. Yeah, um, it's Kyle. He's flying over the world, flies over the ocean, which is also freezing, and thinking about how he, he's just been to see Parallax, and he blew it. Because as far as Kyle's concerned... Hal just waved him away. He was like, oh, I'll think about it. Get lost. And waved him <laughs> away, and Kyle was was banished. Uh, this also disproves my theory that Kyle went to, uh, went to was summoned to the Green Lantern Torch from the middle of the sun or whatever. So, yeah. I mean, it's still kind of 
possible. I mean, Parallax kind of like summoned and or de-summoned him and summoned him like twice kind of thing. Yeah. Like he, Kyle was like, hey, how we need to talk. And then he's like, no, no. OK, cool. Go away. And then he's like, Coast City. He's like, Kyle, I want you. Makes him teleport. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll think about it. Go away. So yeah. it's possible. <laughs> yeah. But he's, he's, he's like, oh, I'm really annoyed. But apparently there's still a spark of hope. Uh, it's not really clear what that is because Kyle now now arrives at Metropolis, which is blanketed in snow. Um, and we get the title, The Final Night, but this time it's spelled Kniggert. <laughs> Indeed. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and then yeah. the credits. Carl Kessel, writer, Stuart Immanen, penciler, Jose Marzan, Jr., inker, Trish Mulverhill, colorist, Gaspar Letterer, Ali Morales, assistant editor, and Dan Thorsland, editor. And um, I, 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 this is not a criticism. This is merely an observation. But um, uh, clearly, Stuart Immonen drew one very impressive shot of a Metropolis kind of skyline, and yep. then has kind of like reused it and edited it multiple times as the world has gotten colder. So now, like the LexCor building is covered in snow. Believe me, this is not a criticism. You would not draw the city twice. You would have. You would have to be yes. mad. Yeah, it is the, basically the same shot from the first splash page in issue one of Final Night, where it was all sunny and warm and nice, uh, but this time with added Kyle and added snow. I, w- I would like to say, because it, it pops up a lot in uh, in DC Comics of this era, uh, and I think quite memorably in Earth 2, when it was drawn by Frank Whiteley, but I love the design of the LexCore building. Yeah, he's just a big letter L. It is very... Elegant and clever. I think whoever whoever came up with that should have been rewarded. Hmm. And uh, and this is almost certainly intentional. Looks to be the tallest building in Metropolis. I was thinking about that as well. Like I, I know the uh, probably geography of Metropolis changes as the story demands it, but um, I think it's quite telling that it towers directly over the Daily Planet, which it's I it's a lot closer to the Daily Planet than I I thought it was. Maybe um, maybe it slid on the ice. <laughs> <clears throat> there's um i know um it's quite common you know um a lot of dc heroes have um like a a second title or something you know the caped crusader the dark knight that sort of thing um the 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 idea of referring to um green lantern as like the emerald knight is quite mm. is quite i quite like that and i know in um kingdom come when we see a future iteration of hal jordan i believe He's yeah. gone full Arthurian knight sort of thing, like wearing green armor all the time and carrying a sword. It's very, very cool. I feel like it's something that was very much Hal. I don't think Kyle ever really got referred to as the Emerald Knight. Mm. He's the, he's the Emerald Storyboard artist. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, he uh, the Emerald Storyboard artist arrives in Metropolis to find Wonder Woman and Nightwing helping with an evacuation. Um, or what he thinks is an evacuation, but then Metropolis citizens are like, no, we're sticking around. Lex Luthor's got it all figured out. We've got new energy sources, habitats for plants and animals. We're going to get rid of the Sun Eater at some point as well. And Kyle's like, oh, that's awesome. And then Wonder Woman says, where have you been? You disappeared in the sun. And Kyle's like, oh, I just, I was just doing stuff. But we're going to beat this thing. Yay. And then Wonder Woman's like, oh, yeah, about that. I don't, I, I like the implication that like Kyle disappeared in the sun and i know it probably would have been very hard to mount a rescue mission but they're like oh yeah kyle um didn't you disappear in the middle of the sun i'm like oh yeah no it's it's cool i'm like oh cool 
cool. Yeah, no, we we looked for you for for ages. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Presumably, then it's it's from there that he went to Hal. Yes. Yeah, okay. Here's another question for you, PJ. Um, Wonder Woman is superhuman and probably. Mm-hmm. You know, in in a lot of her many many powers, probably like res- heat resistance is probably one of them. So, she she's probably not feeling the cold terribly. You know, despite not wearing a lot. Um, Kyle's got the ring. I imagine the ring can kind of maintain his body temperature just as it would in space. How cold do you suppose Nightwing is right now wearing lycra? Oh, I don't think no. I think all the all the Bat Family suits are like built to handle extreme cold and extreme heat, so they'll help regulate your body temperature. I imagine. <laughs> Oh, do you reckon there's actually like a whole layer of like Murano wool, like under? Yeah, some... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Normally sweating buckets. It's like, oh, thank God, this is perfect. <laughs> so Wonder Woman takes Kyle then to Star Labs, where everyone's gathered, and Brainiac Five is reminding us that the sun's about to go boom. Uh, yeah, and um. You know, that's good in a way because it means the sun will suddenly be very hot again, which is kind of nice. But um, uh, the fact that it will explode is obviously uh, not great. And it's going to happen in less than two hours, which is... That's a problem. Insane. Um, Thankfully, everyone's favourite benevolent uh, capitalist, Lex Luthor, has, um, you know, has has a plan. Yeah, he holds up a little device and says that it's it's one of half a half million force field devices that he modified from Brainiac 5's personal unit. And then, you know, normally in a comic you'd go, how have you done that so quickly? But then he says, the Flash built them. And you're like, oh, that's fine then. <laughs> yeah, poor, I mean, there's a, there's a moment in Kieran Gillen's run on Young Avengers where there's a side story where, oh, I'm just picking my brains, Prodigy gets a job at a tech startup which is mostly hiring metahumans to fill weird roles. And he come, and he meets Speed, who mm. is Scarlet Witch's son, who is temping there or has like a part-time job assembling iPads because uh, he can <laughs> assemble like... 200 in like a, a a minute but he says from his perspective it's like two weeks so he says it pays well but it's absolutely horrible because i just sit here in silence building ipads while the world around me is frozen <laughs> so yeah spare a thought for wally here well wally does say it was nothing but i may never play the minute waltz in under four seconds again and lex gives him a typical lex response of fascinating flash thank you for sharing that essential information <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so the plan is to uh, uh, distribute the uh, the force field generators around the sun, so that when it goes nova, the interlinked force fields will contain most of the blast, probably around ninety seven percent. He also reckons that this will trap the sun eater and destroy it, and um, yeah, but uh, it needs a lot of energy which is more than the Earth could provide. But thankfully, the sun is exploding, which will give us a lot of energy. So uh, it seems like they've got it all worked out. Yeah, he says timing is going to be everything, but the devices have been loaded onto Dusk's spaceship. 
course is preset and then superman says well shouldn't dusk be leaving to warn the next planet just in case this doesn't work and dusk says no because humans are the best species i've ever seen and i want to stay and help i'm not running away this time yes and i it's a nice sentiment but i i think um if i'd been in the room when this was spoken out loud i i, I don't think my eyeballs could have rolled further up into yeah. my skull um <laughs> thankfully uh, lex luther's like uh, after that brief awkward interaction is like well yes anyway moving on um uh the mission is fully uh uh fully automated he has a little dig at brainiac that the uh previous attempt to get energy out of the sun uh, get information from this uh, didn't work out and um but someone someone will have to be on board uh so uh it might be a suicide mission yeah he says I'd, I'd be the ideal candidate of course because i you know i know the ship i can deal with the unexpected i would be perfect but the ship's probably not going to survive so uh green lantern can go <laughs> uh yeah and you know maybe it seems a little dickish from luther but yeah we know for a fact that kyle can survive <laughs> inside the sun so yeah i think that makes perfect sense yeah and kyle Sort of goes, hey, I get to be the hero? That's cool. Oh, I wish we'd known this yesterday. And just just starts talking about how great it is. And then suddenly in a green flash, he disappears in front of Luthor. <laughs> uh, yes, I wonder where he went. Uh, and so everyone's like, uh, oh, crap. Like, uh, where'd he go? He's our space dude. Um, does anyone have Scarman's number? Uh, and uh, <laughs> uh, But they're like, uh, yeah, I guess I guess we'll have to find him later. Yeah, and then Superman's like, right, so the first thing we got to do is figure out who's going to replace him. And Wonder Woman says, well, it needs to be someone here. There's no time to get anyone else. And I love this line. Batman just says, well, I say we go with Luthor's first choice. And there's this wonderful panel of Luthor sort of backing off, looking terrified, clutching at the computer terminals behind him, going, no, I won't get on that suicide ship. I didn't work this hard to be cremated. No, I'm not doing this. I did it so I could live. And Superman's just like, yeah, your reaction's perfectly human, Luthor. It's yeah. a great moment. I love it. And, and, and Superman's like, uh, you know what? I'll do it. It kind of has to be me. I always thought I'd do it. It's a weird line where he says, even if it hadn't been me, I probably would have snuck on and you know, try to save who did it anyway. Um, which I know is, is very heroic, but it's also like, hey, Superman, let someone else have their moment. Um, well, I, th I think that's that's also seeding, isn't it? Yes, yeah. There's, there's someone in the room to hear that. And, um... Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's just that good a dude. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and Captain Marvel's like... Uh, but holy moly, Superman, you know, without your superpowers, <laughs> you won't survive any better than Mr. Luther. Um, it just made me think that maybe Captain Marvel could do it because, um, I don't know, the strength of strength of Hercules, power of Zeus might might be enough. Yeah. But no, Superman's basically saying, no, the, the supernova should jumpstart my powers again. So it's the same as the force fields. That's, that's what I'm betting on. So, yeah, just give me a few moments and then I'll be ready. Yeah. And... Um, you know, he 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 goes goes into a cupboard basically to a side room to write a note and uh, um, yeah, and then and Pharaoh and uh, is it Cosmic, Cosmic Boy? Boy? Cosmic Boy, yeah. Sorry, still not a hundred percent au fait with the uh, the Legionnaires. Uh, they they basically just have a fanboy moment where they're like, 
Oh, he's isn't he great? He's amazing. He's a, he's a he's a true hero, basically. He's he's the best, and it's not about his powers. It's just because he's so great. And uh, we see Superman uh, begin writing a letter addressed to Lois. Yeah, and then Luthor gets impatient. He's like, "What's taking him so long?" And Brainiac Five says, "Well, you could still get in the spaceship yourself, Luthor. That's fine. Just do it." But then the ship starts powering up, and they go, "Oh, Superman must must already be on board. That's cool. Let's launch it." And the ship takes off. And, um, yeah, everyone, you know, well, you know, they're, they're like, Luther's like, uh, oh, well, you know, at least we don't have to say a long, teary goodbye. Uh, wait, 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 hang on a minute. Why can't we communicate with him? Uh, Saturn girl, use your telepathy. And uh, and she's like, oh, no, no, wait, the pilot, the pilot isn't. And then Superman charges in. He's like, what's going on? Who's on that ship? You know, oh, it's a switcheroo. And uh, Brainiac manages to override the comm link, and it's Pharaoh. He heard Superman say he'd sneak, he'd have snuck onto the ship if it had been someone else, and he thought, well, I can sneak onto ships. Oh, I'll do it, and then I can save Superman, and then Superman's still around, and that's cool. Yeah, yeah, and Pharaoh, who kind of inexplicably finds himself the main character of this story now, is like, <laughs> um, uh, you know, Superman's a symbol, you know, he's the man of skill, and... I know I'm not the Man of Steel, but I'm I'm kind of the Man of Steel, a a Man of Steel. Uh, but you know I won't fail because I promised to give Spark her Legion flight ring back. <laughs> and the music swells. Yep. And then Captain Marvel is like, "Kids, huh? Wow. Right. What are you gonna do? Oh, I'm a child." Oh. <laughs> And he offers to fly after him and get Pharaoh out of the ship. And Superman says, "No, we need to get him out." Uh, we need to get me out there and bring him back. And Batman says, well, we've got Alpha Centurion's ship, but that's in Hong Kong. And Flash says, I'll go, I'll go, it's fine. And Brainiac's panicking. He's like, no, the course is locked in, we can't do anything. And then there's another green glow, and someone says, maybe I can do something. And Parallax and Green Lantern are both stood there, as Hal Jordan says, I'm here to help. And Noxu, Noxu kind of cut away from this moment, but it is amazing the amount of airtime that Alpha Centurion gets in this story. I know! <laughs> it, is, it is bizarre to me. Like, I did not think that him having a spaceship was so... I'm reminded of um, Starman from uh, DC One Million, where Kyle's like, hey, did you know this guy has a spaceship? It's a really big responsibility, apparently. He won't shut <laughs> like- up about it. Alpha Centurion cannot be the only hero on Earth who's got a spaceship or access to a spaceship. I know, or or or, or the one that could just probably is capable of getting into space. So there's tons of them who could probably do it. <laughs> maybe it's just you know, maybe Carl Kessel just has a soft spot for him. Oh, well, I'm glad somebody does. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, um, Howl, Howl's back, and um, and uh, yeah, looking good. I, I think um, Imminent draws draws the parallax armor really well. Yeah, it looks good. I like I like the colours on it. The green really pops. I like that. Yeah. Um and well the, the, the reception is, is far from enthusiastic. I guess they last saw him during Zero Hour, I'm guessing. Yes, which was a couple of years ago in, in the comics. So Superman does say warily that it's been a while and Batman is typically Batman about it. It's not long enough. Doesn't matter how noble he acts, we all know Parallax's true agenda and he hasn't changed. And Hal just says, nope, I haven't. And if you don't want my help, just say so. Uh, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of nice that, I guess, even 
in this moment like even when he's here to help like he's still kind of being himself i suppose like he, mm. he hasn't had a complete personality transplant um but yeah superman's like look okay you know uh, you know we do want your help uh there's a young boy out there he's about to go into orbit around the sun i mean like if i had a penny for every time uh superman had said that um <laughs> you know if you could save him maybe even contain the nova you know you could do it you could do it how you're probably the most powerful person here now and Hal says, well, yeah, I can. And I'm not even going to stop there because after the Nova, the sun will be weaker, but I can rekindle it to full strength. But that would then result in mass flooding on Earth. So I'll minimize that, maybe even prevent that. I can, I can just fix everything. And they've heard this talk from Hal before. So Batman immediately just says, no, no. A chance to recreate the world to suit you is not how it works. You're not God. Yeah, and um, Hal's like, well, you know, maybe not your God. Um, but uh, you know, a, I, I, you know, I, I, if you want me to just, you know, let kind of, you know, all the pain and suffering from this disaster kind of just continue to affect the planet, then you know, fine. But I will heal the planet. I will restore its life and beauty, and that's all I'll do on my oath. And his when he says on my oath, it has a green outline, which um means means it's uh he's serious <laughs> that's how yeah. it works right yeah yeah well well on, on you know the color depends on the character like if it was a yellow outline you'd know he was not serious but no that's how. true <laughs> well he's, he's off but panel I, right now i suppose it, it could be anyone saying it It could be jade uh it could be uh green arrow but uh it's certainly not the ray who'd probably be yellow as well yeah, but I, I like that the on my oath is with him off panel and it's this look of everyone sort of looking at each other, trying to work out, you know, can we trust him? I mean, we've and I think there's an element of we've really got nothing to lose either. So then Superman steps forward, holds out his hand and says, we can live with that. I always hoped you'd come back, Hal. And what I what I think is key here is Hal does not take his hand. He doesn't yeah. take the offered hand. He just says, I'm not coming back. I'm just setting things right. It's all I wanted to do. As he teleports away. Yeah, it's it's um it's a recognition, I think, from Hal that like it can't you know, he can't undo what's happened and uh, you know, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I, I think it's almost maybe there's a part of Hal which is like I don't want to cheapen what Superman means by accepting your hand. In a way, like, I am a bad guy, so to speak, but I can still do something good. Yeah, I think it, it is that, isn't it? It's it's Superman is always willing to forgive, but Hal doesn't want to be forgiven. No, no, quite, quite. And I, I do like that. I like that it, it isn't a sudden, like, magic reversal of everything Hal did or has done. You know, there's an acknowledgement that he can do some good here, but it, it doesn't change the past, which I like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So he, he disappears, and they're all left alone. And Luthor just says he's, he's gone, and Brainiac says, well, okay, then let's focus on what we can do. The ship's in solar orbit, and it's releasing the force field devices. Uh, yeah, and they... You know, the kind of data coming in to HQ is saying that, like, you know, it's all happening too quickly. You know, Pharaoh isn't going to have time to escape. So they try to war warn him. Um, but now he's, he's doing a, a full kind of like, you know, Hail Mary. Like, we've got to go out in a blaze of glory, you know, do something, do something heroic. Um, uh, really, really trying to 
you know, kind of save people here. And he says, you know, I'll armor up, I'll be okay. And then there's a massive, massive explosion, basically. And uh, a kind of, I guess, like a, a corona, like an expulsion of energy from the sun, just kind of like slices the spaceship apart. Yeah. And uh, we see Pharaoh's kind of mask starting to melt. Yeah, so he's, he has been in contact with Saturn Girl. She was trying to tell him to get out of there, but he loses the contact and he tries to apologise. He's like, I've let everyone down and say sorry that I didn't give Sparks back her Legion flight. And then everything goes white. And then everything goes green. And you get Pharaoh surrounded by a faintly green glow looking at the flight ring on his hand. Absolutely fine, just saying, ring? And then it pulls back. And... Parallax is now there and enormous with Pharaoh in the palm of his hand. Yeah, I think he's he's I think Hal is literally standing on the sun right yeah. now. Um <laughs> which is which is something. Um uh, yeah, uh and yeah, I like um I like that in this moment Hal seems very benevolent as well. I think it's quite a nice touch. I love his line as well. He says, can't have that, son. I know how important rings can be. <laughs> yeah. And Pharaoh nice. probably has no idea who this is. But uh, it, from Hal, it is a lovely moment. Of, it almost feels like that's the old Hal. Yeah. Just sneaking out. He's still in there. Just for a moment. Um, and uh, Hal uh, is like, uh, you know, Pharaoh's like, you know, am I dead? Is that why the flames aren't moving? Also, Pharaoh, you're in space and talking. So, you know, focus on the more miraculous thing. And Hal's <laughs> um, like, uh, not at all. I guess you could say I hit the temporal pause button. A little trick I learned at the beginning of time. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, Pharaoh's like, you know, who are you? What are you going to do? And Hal's like, first, I'm going to send you home. And then we see... I, <laughs> I, I, the implication is that Hal uses his incredible godlike power to transport Pharaoh safely back to Earth. But uh, uh, the way it's kind of rendered in the comic, it kind of looks like he just tossed him like a, <laughs> yeah. like a marble across space-time. Um, yeah, I love the little sound, because there's a, a green burst coming out of Hal's hand and then a streak that shows Pharaoh sort of flying, whoa, uh, towards <laughs> the Earth. And I love the little sound effect. It's just this little thum. Yeah, like um, like a pinball launcher, I guess. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> so Pharaoh, Pharaoh's hurtling through space at near light speed, um, probably... <laughs> tripping balls and um <laughs> we we cut to Howell's narration and you know he says well you know now i can do any i can, then i can do anything i want to which his kind of internal monologue kind of pops in and says i know that's what they fear at least batman even superman on some level and everyone in between uh you know they're they're, they're scared of him and what he might and what he might do yeah and then he says but he talks about having taken an oath a long time ago, and it's an oath that taught him something none of them will ever understand, that there are two ways to dispel the darkness. And then, and I do think this is a beautiful two pages here. Hal spreads his arms out and, and energy coalesces around him and he just starts reciting in brightest day, in blackest night. And then the Sun Eater, the Nova, starts fighting against him as he says no evil. And then he sort of starts to feel the strain of, of what he's trying to do. Uh, yeah, and then and, he finishes and, it. No evil yeah. shall escape my sight. And um, 
uh, yeah, and we, and we see this kind of green, this green light um, kind of swelling in the center of the, uh, I guess, kind of event horizon around the sun. And, uh, you know, Hal says, um, you know, I, I've always done what I truly believed was right. At first, people called me a hero for it and then a villain. As the memory of what I've done and been fades, I hope it will be seen and we get the final line of the oath, which is, you know, let those who worship evils might beware my power in a, in massive font, and uh, and then the sun explodes in green light, and we we and how thinks in a uh, you know so I hope I will be seen in a different light, and green yeah. energy fills everything. I think it's very important that he he doesn't get to say Green Lantern's light. It's because he he doesn't finishes green lantern he finishes his parallax but i love that his last words are that oath mm. it's, it's it's still I think those it's a lovely two pages it's really daft and it, it's, it's one of the wonderful things of like this kind of low art incredible pop culture of superhero comics but like it's so daft but like the green lantern oath still gives me shivers sometimes it's um it's ridiculously powerful yeah, no, it is. It's I, I, I want to say it was written by the science fiction writer Alfred Bester uh, in the '60s, which was a time when you would get like science fiction writers crossing over and doing comics as well. Um, and yeah, I think it's, it's it's just a lovely little. It's very silly, but also lovely little piece of of ephemera that's part of the Green Lantern mythology. And obviously, Kyle doesn't use it. He doesn't need to. But it was. Hal and the core, they had to recite the oath as they were recharging to get their rings to recharge. Some a little thing the Guardians did. So yeah, I I, I love it. <laughs> there's a um uh there's a moment in uh, uh JLA versus Avengers, isn't there, where um Kyle recites the um uh Hal's uh Hal's oh, oath so that he can tap into the cosmic cube. Yeah, uses it to focus, but specifically refers to it as Hal's Oath, doesn't he? Yeah, it's a nice... Uh, and I, I guess if we're talking oaths briefly, um, we have to mention my favourite oath, which is the um, uh, the Oath of the Blind Green Lantern, the um, F-sharp bell. <laughs> do, you, do you know this one off by heart, PJ? I, I don't know it by heart, but I, I vaguely remember it, yeah. This, this is Alan Moore's doing... Uh, in loudest din or hush profound, my ears catch evil's slightest sound. Let those who toll out evil's knell beware my power, the F-sharp bell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lovely. <laughs> lovely recitation work as well there, John. Thank you. Well, um, it's very it's very cool. Yeah, a, there's a good, good little story there. A, 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 a blind Green Lantern who has to perceive their power as a pleasing sound. <laughs> anyway, sorry, PJ. Um, the sun has gone green. Yeah, so Pharaoh finds himself back on Earth and he he's like, well, what happened to the guy in the sun? And the temperature is soaring and then it levels off and Luther's like, this is impossible. And Dusk is just says, I don't believe anything's impossible anymore. And the snow starts to evaporate. Nightwing's there by a, the guys in Metropolis and he's like, well, the snow's evaporating. And then one of the guys says, yeah, the sun's green, Nightwing, but I'm not complaining. <laughs> Thank you, Bystander. Um <laughs> Uh, we cut to that uh, village where Ray, uh, Zatanna, um, Fire, some of some of the other heroes were trying to help, and um, 
you know, everyone, everyone's like coming out onto the streets and going like, oh, this is it's wonderful. Like, uh, the, you know, the earth is coming alive again. Yep. Yep. And then you see in Egypt, all the snow is gone. And then you cut to outside warriors where Guy Gardner and a couple of other people are stood outside and Guy's punching the air and shouts, way to go, Jordan. He obviously wasn't in Star Labs, but you can infer from his meeting with Hal in the Parallax one shot that he's put two and two together here. Yeah, and you know uh, he's like, uh, you know, I, 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 I can't wait to thank him when he returns. Uh, I, I can't even imagine how he would thank him. And um, Saturn Girl's like, um, uh, well, actually, um, I'm afraid it took everything he had to defeat the Sun Eater. Everything. So yes, I don't think there'll be the opportunity to say thank you to Hal Jordan. Yeah, that's that's the acknowledgement that Hal Jordan has died. That is, the, his last act was a heroic one to reignite the sun, but it took him, took everything, and, and there is no more how. Uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, we, we hear like a news report as the sun, I guess, rises or just kind of, you know, shines again. And um... Yeah, but it's, it's a news report from Lex Luthor's news station, so it very much is saying, uh, oh, uh, the heroes have won the day, basically... One an anonymous source told us that one metahuman ignored Mr. Luther's non-intervention warning with fatal results, saying to me that Lex's news corporations are saying it was Lex who was responsible, and whichever hero it is that died did so because they were stupid. Yeah, had to just have one final opportunity to be a bit of a dick. So <laughs> that's Luthor. Uh, and then we cut to the roof of the Daily Planet, where we see Batman kind of looking out over a sunny city, which is an unusual, you know, kind of take for him. And also, I have to say, it hasn't been a massive amount of Batman in this story. No, there hasn't. But it's a cro- you had that nice Vandal Savage bit, and that's about it. But, you know, you have to end a crossover like this on the world's finest. Mm. And, uh, yeah, and I guess Superman's feeling himself again. And, um, yeah, he, he wanders up to approach, uh, approach uh, Bruce. And I, I have to say that some of my favourite... Some of my favourite moments have always been uh, uh, Clark and Bruce randomly standing on a rooftop. Um, I'm reminded of the end of um, American Dreams, which I think is perhaps one of my favourite interactions between the two characters ever, where, you know, in, we just see um, Superman offer, offer Bruce a lift home and him, him politely decline, which is, <laughs> which is lovely. And this is a nice moment as well that really shows the difference between the two characters as... Superman says, too bad Hal can't see this sunrise. I wish it could have been me instead, but he did the right thing in the end. At least he's redeemed himself. And Batman just says, don't make a martyr out of a murderer, Superman. One shining moment doesn't redeem him. He he admitted he hadn't changed. I like, um, of course, calling back or really calling ahead to the Day of Judgment tie-in, which we've covered, where we see Batman make a similar similar accusation you know here he's saying mm. superman don't make a martyr out of a murderer and then he, he i think he says to hal in that in that issue don't flatter yourself by comparing yourself to superman yeah you know he made an impossible decision to save millions and and you went psycho and and killed billions so yeah shut up <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and superman responds with what people don't always notice when they've changed i i'll always think hal died a hero and Batman's parting shot as he swings away is too bad that isn't how he always lived. Which is a nice... It's a nice 
bittersweet kind of ending. Like I, I kind of like that their final parting words aren't super positive and happy. Like it, it, that's a degree of ambiguity, which I like. Well, also they're both right. Hell did die doing a heroic act, being a hero. But Batman's right as well. When he was alive, he wasn't always that. So, <laughs> yeah. So and and um, yeah. Um, and the narration points out that you know the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight, uh, the world's finest heroes. Um, you know they are as different as night and day. But that is what helps them guarantee the words that seem to hang in the new light. And we turn the page to get that shot of the city again, only now the sun is shining. Yeah, bathed in a golden glow. As it just, we just get the caption boxes again in brightest day and darkest night. No evil shall escape my sight. The, the end. The end. The end. Well, there we go, PJ. That is final night in all its glory. Yeah, and issue four, I think, is definitely my favourite. It's just, it's a lot more focused than the rest of the issues because it's all the plan to save the world and then Hal actually saving the world. No, I, I, I agree. I agree. It's, um, it, it just kind of gets to it, really. And, um, there are some, there are some nice moments. I, I, I will say that, um, I know I've been a little critical of, of some of the emotional beats being a bit kind of heavy handed. But I, I I think that even though it was done in in just two pages, I think Hal's final moments are very good, very yeah. very well handled. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. I think it's superb. I think it it actually there's there's some weight and power to it, and it does feel emotional when when Hal saves the world. No, I I I, I agree. I, you know, I agree wholeheartedly. Like, um, it's it's still very 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 bizarre to me how Pharaoh centric this entire story has been <laughs> possibly the only story to ever be this pharaohcentric yeah particularly when you know my understanding is that he's a very new character i think we've covered this may have been introduced during final night in a superman tie-in book uh he's from the present day i believe after this he goes on to join the legion maybe even returning to the future with them yes he does um, so I don't know. It's just so weird. It, it, you know, I, I I like the kind of the idea of here's a young hero trying to do something maybe a little foolish but heroic, and and then Hal steps in because he's willing to take the pain and and the consequences here. But um, but yeah, it's continually baffling to me that it's Pharaoh of all people. <laughs> yeah, no, I know what you mean, but I do really like his little moment with Hal. Mm. Um, when Hal saves his life, and and the the, you know, I know how important rings can be. So, yeah, and you know, we're never gonna. I don't think we're ever gonna do a comic on this show featuring Pharaoh again. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe enjoy the time we have with Pharaoh. Is what you're yeah, saying? Exactly. Exactly. Um. Yeah. It's it's maybe there's um an alternate reality where that final scene could have been. I don't know. Kyle and Parallax, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe you, you know, if you needed a young hero to try and do something heroic, you, it could have been Kyle. But um, you know, for, for what it is, exactly, it's absolutely fine, and it's not that Kyle doesn't get some pretty tremendous moments later on. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We we and there's a lot of Kyle in our future, which is good. Mm. So so yeah, PJ. I mean, 
um, what are you? What I guess if there's not much more to say about this issue, I mean, what what are your thoughts overall on on Final Night? Like, is this? I am going to bring up now and discuss this big continuity thing I've been mentioning ah, throughout. Finally, so, yes. Okay, John. In Final Night, who are the members of the Justice League? Well, okay. Well, <laughs> I don't know who PJ. I don't okay, know, but. Morrison's JLA has not been formed, though. You would agree? Yeah. Yes. It, based on where this falls, uh, the Magnificent Seven are really just a, a kind of loose conglomeration of people who respect each other but don't work together. And for all I know, uh, Nuclon, Metamorpho, Ice Maiden, and Obsidian are the Justice League. I I don't know. That's all I know. Okay. So, New World Order has to take place after this. New yes. World Order cannot take place after this. At the end of Final Night, Superman is still powerless. His powers do not come back. And it is a botched attempt to get his powers back that turns him into an energy being. What? Wait, yep. what? Yep. In Wait, trying so to get I... his powers back, they give him too much power, and that turns him into an energy being. Wait, so hang on a minute. You're saying that at, in the final scene when he's talking to Batman on the roof, he hasn't got his powers back? That's correct. So did he take the stairs? Yes. And then he walked back down? Yep. Wait, hang on a minute. Okay, okay. So so if you'd been collecting Superman yep. at this time, one of the many super... Okay, so, so this whole... Sorry, I'm fascinated now. So this whole story... Came out in one month. It was yep. like a week, weekly event. Uh, it's cover dated as September 96. Yeah. I believe it was physically released in November that year. I yeah. think there's a bit of um, there's a bit of disagreement on the on the DC wiki, but I think that's my understanding. Yeah. And the Morrison series started in January 97. Yes. So you're saying I'm just piecing this together in my head. But if you'd been collecting Superman monthlies at this point, the consequences of Final Night in the closing days of September of 1996 would have been that Superman was now powerless and had to, in the course of his own series, pursue ways to get his powers back. Yes. In the, as a consequence of which, he became Electric Blue Superman. That is correct. And yet... New World Order features long-haired, regular Superman with a full complement of powers. And somewhere between New World Order and American Dreams, he becomes Electric Blue Superman. Yep. Right. Okay. <laughs> That's interesting. There wasn't yep. a any brief window where he got his powers back, even if only for like a day. Not that I'm aware of. I believe because I, I read the uh, back in the day. I did read the Superman Transformed <clears throat> uh, collection, which was where you collected the issues where he became the energy being, mm. and yeah, that seemed to take place right after Final Night with a powerless Superman. Huh, so here's me so so here's me thinking this massive continuity error was gonna be something to do with Captain Atom. It was gonna be something to do with who knows, maybe even Alpha Centurion, like, you know, who the hell was calling themselves the Justice League at this point. 
And I'm completely wrong. It was a complete red herring. It was all well, about it, Superman's powers. It's that line from Captain Atom that, that sort of ruins it. Because as far as I'm concerned, Captain Atom in, was it issue one? So it's like Captain Atom and the Justice League are ready to help. If it weren't for that line, you could say this happened after New World Order and before American Dreams. There'd be nothing else in here to say Final Night was took place outside of that time frame. But it's the fact that there's very specific references to the JLA not being the Morrison JLA. Yeah, and that makes it triply confusing because, of course, I think because I was doing some research about JLA Task Force, which may have been running, eh, may probably finished slightly before this story came out, but like a couple of years before. But at that point, there were three Justice League teams running around. There was Jong's, Jong's Task Force team, which was new heroes doing government missions. There was Extreme Justice run by Captain Atom. And then there was a JLA team that Wonder Woman was associated with. Yeah. And then, of course, at the start of the Morrison run, we have this weird collection of G-listers who are running the space station. Yeah. God, it's confusing. It is. It really is. But it means I do not know where... (laughs) how it all fits together in continuity. It's one of the reasons... uh, DC continuity became such a mess, I think. It's um, Again, it's so weird, though, because this is only a year out from uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they're, 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 they're only... No, sorry, not a year out. Sorry, a decade. Like, they're, they're only 10 years into the reboot at this point. Like, it's weird. It's wild to me that we had the crazy excesses of the 90s where I don't think anyone in hindsight is looking back on, like, extreme justice particularly favourably. Um, you know, that sort of thing, where, like, oh, a bit of a nadir, like, who are the Justice League anyway? But it's wild to me that you get this kind of weird hinterland where you've got things like uh, Final Night, um, possibly uh, Underworld Unleashed, where it's almost like there isn't a JLA, and yet all these characters are running around. There seems to be, like, two or three years where nobody was really kind of officially on the team. It's very, very bizarre. Yep. <laughs> it really is. It's very Where's weird. Where's Nuclon? That's what I want to know. I know. Like that's what everyone's crying out, isn't it? Where's Nuclon? Yeah. Well, that's baffling. That's absolutely baffling. And I can because we've talked about it before, and I think it's kinda I think it's kinda hinted at in the Wizard magazine interviews. But obviously if you were writing Justice League, you'd get these kind of editorial edicts, which would be like, you can't use Wonder Woman now, she's dead because John John Byrne killed her. Or you can't use um, regular Superman because now he's electric blue Superman because of events in their own story. And I think Morrison said that like when they wrote the electric blue story, the electric blue Superman stories, which begins with like uh, Woman of Tomorrow and the Incredible Angels two-parter, they had never read an Electric Blue Superman story. They didn't even have a full breakdown of their powers, as I understand it. Like, Morrison kind of got the memo saying, like, now you have to use Electric Blue Superman. Hmm. Just make it work. Well, that's it. it was the March uh, 97? No. Yeah, March 97, I believe, that Electric Superman first appeared. So you have, like two or three months of storylines where he's trying to get his powers back and 
yeah. That's really bizarre because I can understand that, like, you know, because Morrison, Morrison starts writing a new world order and is like, okay, so it's going to be about like a, a changing of the guard. We've got the Magnificent Seven coming back in because this is off the back of A Midsummer's Nightmare, which we're forgetting about as well. Yeah. Uh, which which came was out... being published at the same time as. Yes, 100%. Night, wasn't it? Yeah, 100% where Superman has his powers. So. Wow, that is bizarre because Morrison, I guess, would have had some knowledge going in. And even the point of having like this team of also rans, you know, kind of like the G list heroes who are having to kind of step down because the main characters are arriving. It's weird that that is this random collection of like Nuclon, Obsidian, Ice Maiden, so on. And mm. not say Captain Captain Axum, who appar- apparently claims to have ownership of the Justice League brand at this point. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> it's just really it's weird, all PJ. Very I strange. To, I don't know what to make of it. Very bizarre. Well, but yeah, okay. that's that's the little continuity thing that always bugged me about Final Night. Well, I could have lived in in blissful ignorance, but you you opened my eyes to that. Um, and I mean, if, like, if I have got this wrong and any of our listeners can enlighten me then yeah please do i would love to i would love to know i would have to imagine that like morrison gave a story proposal uh they wanted the new series to start in january they knew there was a bit of a change coming for superman anyway and they were probably just like oh just just whatever who cares it's only like a 3 month window where the continuity will be a bit weird just go for it <laughs> yeah um okay continuity errors aside pj are there any kind of like just kind of general thoughts you have about about final final night um you know i have enjoyed revisiting it it doesn't hold up a lot of it as well as i i remembered in you know I've, i'm always going to have a soft spot for it but it does it, technically it doesn't hold up a lot of it but i love that parallax one shot i think that is a superb comic Oh, I agree. absolutely brilliant. And I do there's moments throughout the main series, and I think issue four itself is pretty strong. It's a lot like DC one million in that regard. <laughs> I think um yeah, I, I think um the parallels with DC one million are are quite interesting because it's a story where there's a massive cask of characters and you know, another story where conceivably certain the focus was misplaced at times yeah um you know could it have been trimmed a bit could it would it have been more emotionally resonant if we'd focused on a smaller group of characters rather than this massive ensemble um i think of the two i would still pick dc one million um i i think dc one million is 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 kind of like a glorious mess Mm. uh but i think there's more moment to moment Morrison flair to make it kind of interesting for yes. me personally. Um that said, I think the the ultimate consequences of Final Night are more impactful than anything that came out of DC 1 million to be honest. Yeah, that's it. Final the you know this whole Hal Jordan dying reigniting the sun. This is a major thing for 90s and early 2000s DC comics. It it's it it hovers over almost everything that comes after it. Um I would say one thing Final Night, in terms of the trade, has in favour of it over DC 1 million is it's a shorter trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't contain that 
god-awful Batman story that we had to look at in the DC One Million trade, <laughs> which is still the worst comic we've looked at, I think. <laughs> oh, it's, it's certainly up there, yeah. I'm struggling to think of a worse one right this moment. <clears throat> I mean, the Starman issue wasn't great. I think one thing those kind of those kind of slightly slightly worse issues have have in common is the action happens in a very matter of fact kind of way yeah like and I think that's maybe just one of my my biggest criticisms of Final Night it's like the moments when it's good it's very good like it's very good like I, I, I think the the um you know the kind of the, the final moments of Hal, as as we said. You know, great. Um, but then you just get these weird little side things where it's like Etrigan turns up and offers. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, and and it's just like that's so random. It could have been fun and weird, but it's actually just kind of boring, and then it's over. And you, you know, you a real highlight. I think it's telling that this this real highlight was. The uh, you know the Green Lantern kind of standalone, the um, where we explore kind of like the final moments and thoughts of Hal. Um, what's it called? Sorry, yeah, Final Night Parallax, Emerald Night, w- without a K. Uh, yeah, and I, and I think that that just had kind of more moment to moment weight to it, to be honest. Um, yeah, yeah, I think certainly the the stuff in Final Night that feels like it's pointing you towards another comic tie-in that you have to read. A lot of that feels a lot more egregious than you get in DC One Million, for sure. Mm. And it's more obvious where it's like, this is something to get you to buy another comic, this particular page in Final Night. You know, I've never read any of those comics. I say I've never read anything that wasn't in this trade I've got here (laughs) that's a Final (laughs) Night tie-in. But yeah, I, I agree with that for sure. And I think, I think DC One Million overall is the stronger of the two, but I think there are interesting parallels between them. Oh, for sure, yeah, and and to be honest, they're both quite flawed. Um, but I, there's I think also... it just shows how difficult it was to do an event book back in the nineties. Yeah, it's almost like it, it kind of. I don't know who wrote the book, wrote the rule book that you had to have this big cast of characters just turn up as if like you weren't getting your money's worth if it wasn't uh, a cast of thousands. Um, but I, I, I guess, but people always end up getting shortchanged. Like, um, mm. you know, I. I think back to, you know, when Bendis was writing New Avengers and I think he couldn't go kind of two issues with like without like the Fantastic Four and the X-Men turning up. Yeah. And it, it just started to cheapen it after a while because you just get a big cast of characters standing around effectively doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember the Sentry story being, because there's like a whole issue of the Sentry story, which is the Sentry and Emma Frost. And it's like, yeah. well, neither of these characters have been main characters in this book yet, so... <laughs> Yeah, I was thinking of the Century Story, story uh, just that moment. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it's it's. Uh, I'm very glad we visited it. it. Like, it didn't really yes. set my world on fire, but there are some good moments, and I think the development of the DC universe and particularly what it means for Kyle, I think it's an, it's an important an important moment to visit, and I'm glad we did. Yeah, same. Me too. Always happy to revisit. And we're not we're not entirely done, are we, PJ? No, because it turns out the digital collection John has, there's an issue in it that is not in my physical book. It is the epilogue, I guess, to Final Night, Green Lantern 81. So I bought a copy of Green Lantern 81 off the internet, which is the first time I've bought like a one shot, a one comic, not a trade, for a, a number of years. 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, it's quite a thing, PJ. And um, you've got the kind of sexy '90s commemorative cover. It is so '90s, foil cover and everything. My uh, my digital copy um, is uh, it doesn't have that kind of uh, super sexy cover included. Uh, it uh, it has a more contemporary uh, no, the more the more normal cover, shall we say. I, uh, I've I've already posted a, a photo of the comic on on my Instagram a few days ago, uh, so if you go to my Instagram PJM nineteen eighty two, you'll see it there. The cover with its shiny Green Lantern logo, just just looking at you there. Yeah, um, uh, I have to imagine that whoever you bought it off PJ bought it uh, at the time, you know, kind of um, mint mint condition. It's been sealed in a in a, a vacuum bag all this time and well uh, it came bagged and boarded so yeah i think i bought it off ebay but the uh, ebay seller i think was a comic shop so yeah well it's um yeah so um so yeah our, our final night adventure is is not over because we are going to be uh, vis- uh visiting the fallout of this as uh we go to the uh kind of uh the wake of hal jordan Mm. And I'm going to tell you something right this moment. In the official, the official PJ digital edition released by DC, the first page is repeated twice. <laughs> oh, that's amazing! <laughs> just putting it, just putting it out there. So there we go. Well uh, done, editorial. <laughs> I, some some poor intern has been like. Dig- digitizing and collating PDFs of every book DC ever made so that they can get them on Comixology. So, yep. <laughs> yeah, can't be helped, can't be helped. No. Uh, but I, I quite like that I've I've actually got a physical issue of Green Lantern from the Kyle era, the Ron Mars run on Green Lantern again. This might trigger something in me. This could be really bad. <laughs> this is this is where it begins, PJ. And I have to say, I'm very excited to see Ron Mars's name on the cover. I, I enjoyed the... The, the parallax one shot mm. I, I i think this this will be quite entertaining as well yeah no i'm looking forward to looking at it definitely awesome well i, I if if have we exhausted this avenue of pleasure then pj i believe we have for the moment well i mean in the, in that regard it, uh if there's nothing else you'd like to say or highlight he said question mark uh oh the measure of a fan my star trek podcast is back as this is released uh season four is going to be wait when's this episode coming out season four is either just started or about to start i forget which but check it out yeah uh, available wherever you get podcasts pj as far as i'm aware that's what my podcast host has told me bushes everywhere (laughs) um uh, and that's a good point pj i guess i should mention that um i in the next few weeks perhaps i am going to be Starting uh, a special uh, mini mini series podcast that um, was one of the uh, stretch goals for my Kickstarter. So we're, I'm going to be doing a behind the scenes podcast on Afterlife Inc. Uh, kind of going to be revisiting all the old books and talking about the making of it. So yeah, if you want to search for the Afterlife Inc. podcast, you can now find and subscribe find it and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and yeah, wherever you get your podcasts. What's this? Your your fourth podcast? Your fifth one? Um, who's who's counting, PJ? I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's not going to be a Stone Cold classic like the JLA cast, but uh, hopefully it'll be entertaining. <laughs> well, I'm excited to listen to it. 
well, well, and 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 I think we all should be excited for more uh, measure of a fan. Um, PJ, um, I, I guess I guess it's because it's that time. Um, you know, we've got a sexy new intro, but I think the outro requires the usual formalities. I'd like to thank Gav Mitchell for drawing our incredible cover artwork. You've gone very quiet on me, but uh, I'd also like to thank Elliot Red for composing and performing our amazing theme tune, Justice. Uh, and uh, oh, I'm sorry, PJ. I hope you can still hear me. Um, I can. You're back. F- fantastic. I'm back. Uh, could you please see us off in your own unique fashion? In brightest day, in blackest night. Oh, a beat! <laughs>